If you've been here the last two weeks and, and, and been here for this series that we're calling Far From God, you've heard the story of Jonah told from two different vantage points. From one vantage point, you heard about the sailors, these guys who were just regular guys doing their job, working on the boats. They had their gods. They had all this religious stuff going on in their lives, and they end up in crisis. And in that moment of crisis, they turn completely to God. These guys that looked like they were far from God were not far from God at all. God calls them in that moment, and they worship him. They make a vow for their lives to change. It seemed like they were far from God, but they weren't. If you were here last week, as Buzz talked about the people of Nineveh, this horrible city that committed horrible atrocities, they were evil, terrible people. They would be like terrorists in our world. They were far from God. Nobody wanted any part of them. And yet, when Jonah comes and speaks the message from God to them, walks through their city, the whole city turns around. These people that appeared to be far from God weren't. God was working in their lives. He was ready to call them to him. They responded to him in a moment of clarity. And in that moment, their lives were changed. They were never the same. The whole city turned to God. They didn't run from him. They responded. They didn't ridicule Jonah. They didn't threaten Jonah. They didn't kill Jonah. They responded to the message of God. Today we're looking at a third character in this story, a third perspective in the story of Jonah, and it is the prophet Jonah. He was this guy that God had set apart to speak for himself. He was a prophet in the Old Testament. If you've got your Bibles, take them out, turn them to Jonah. Um, it's going to be up on screen. If you've got the app, go ahead and open the app, and there'll be some opportunities to fill in some blanks and to kind of make some notes as you go through the process. But, but here's what I want you to get. Um, when we start looking at Jonah, there are a lot of people that, that aren't sure that Jonah was was really a real story, a real person. But if you look at Scripture, one of the things that you'll find is that Jonah lived in the 8th century B.C. He lived after David. He lived before or right after the kingdoms divided. If you know biblical history, but when Israel was divided, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And, uh, and he lived before they were taken into captivity by the Babylonians and Assyrians. Second Kings... Chapter 14 says this, In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Oash, of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. If you skip down, to, uh, down in verse uh, 25, He restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of, of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath-Hefer. Jonah was a real guy in a real place at a real time. He's a historical figure. The Bible describes the time and the place that he lived, where he was born. Jesus referred to Jonah in Matthew chapter 12. It's, in, it, it's important because there are lots of people that don't think this story is real. But the nation of Israel believed it, and more importantly, Jesus believed it. Jesus said in Matthew 12, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jonah's a real guy. He was viewed that way by the Israelite nation, by the people that God had chosen to be his own. He was, he was viewed as God's spokesman, the mouthpiece of God. That guy has to be close to God, right? Jonah, a prophet, he's the guy who gets up at four in the morning, right? And spends the next three hours studying scripture and praying. He's the guy who's given himself to work with the homeless. The guy who's writing worship songs. The guy who's teaching and preaching. He's, he's, he's doing everything he can to do just what God would want. He's the guy closest to God in the nation of Israel, right? Let's take a look and see. Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Just so we know, Tarshish is a hard word to say. All right? Tarshish. Tarshish. Um, God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. Uh, we've got a map up there for you. Nineveh's 500 to 555, or 550 miles to the east of where Jonah is. Jonah was born just a little bit northeast of Joppa. So he goes to Joppa and hops on a ship to go to Nineveh, which is 2,500 miles in the exact opposite direction. He's a spokesman of God, and God says, go to Nineveh, and he says, no way. I'm going the exact opposite opposite direction. Why did Jonah want to run away? That's the question. What can make somebody who knows God, who loves God, who serves God, become far from him? It may be that Jonah just took his relationship with God for granted. Just like we can take for granted our relationship with our husband, our wife, with our kids, with our extended family. Maybe Jonah was so preoccupied with other stuff that he missed what God was saying, that he heard it, but he had, he had gotten so consumed with the other stuff that he just said, nah, that's not really what I want to do. Maybe it was that little by little, Jonah chose to forget about God, to trust himself. He stopped seeing things with God eyes. He stopped hearing things with God ears. Maybe Jonah was so impacted by the people around him. He had, he had filled his life with so many people who had a different perspective that he just kind of said, yeah, God's there and I'm his guy. I don't have to do what he says. I don't really need to do that. Maybe Jonah was just plain scared. Jonah was afraid of the Ninevites. And that's why he ran. Maybe, as chapter 4 points out, we'll, we'll see a little bit later, he was just kind of fed up with preaching judgment. And God not delivering in the way that Jonah thought that he should. But Jonah doesn't respond to God. He runs from him. So how's that work for him? Verse 4. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners, the sailors, were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for him. 
But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Get up. Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a uh, thought to us, and that way we won't perish. And they said to one another, Come, let's cast lots. Let's draw straws. Let's roll the dice so that we can find out on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they did. They cast lots. And the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where did you come from? What's your country? What people are of you? And Jonah said to him, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Even when Jonah is running from God, he knows who he is. He's able to say, I'm a Hebrew. I serve the living God who made heaven and earth. Even though he had turned his back on God, Jonah knew who he was. He knew what he believed intellectually. But his heart was far from God. He rejected the call of God. Rather than responding, he ran. You know, don't you, that you can appear to be very religious and be far from God. You can come to church, you can do all the right stuff, you can read your Bible, you can go through all the motions and be far from God. In the 80s and 90s, if you were alive then, you remember real clearly, there were some very public figures Jimmy Swagger, Jim Baker, guys who were religious figures that fell. Their actions exposed that they were, had become far from God. Even recently, some, some big churches around the country, uh, uh, Bob Coy, Fort Lauderdale Cavalry Chapel, 25,000 member church, heart far from God. Um, uh, Haggard, Ted Haggard, the guy at New Life Church in Colorado, heart far from God shown by, shown by their actions. Even here at North Point, you don't have to be famous or at a mega church in order for it to be true. We could all tell the story of people who went to church, who looked religious, who said all the right things, who did all the right stuff, but their hearts were far from God. Verse 11, then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and throw me in the sea and the sea will quiet down for you because I know it's because of me that this tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to God, God, don't let us perish for this man's life. Don't lay on us innocent blood, for you, God, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, and they threw him in the sea. And the sea stopped its raging. The men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish. The Hebrew word there is a great aquatic animal to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. 
When we run from God, the results will always be painful. When we run from God, the results will always be painful. Jonah had fallen asleep to the call of God in the boat on the way to Tarshish. And God had to send him into a storm to wake him up to get his attention. Ironically, the sailors, the people who were supposed to be far from God, they weren't asleep at all. They recognized God's power. They recognized that it was God was working. A couple of weeks ago, I asked, uh, just through Facebook, I asked people, hey, have you ever run from God? And, and a number of, fe- of friends shared their stories. Let, let me share the story of Lisa, a friend of mine from Virginia. She said, I lost my virginity in the most manipulated way possible. I was a statistic. I remember I lost what I had wanted to hold on to, and then I found out I was pregnant. I tried to find a way to not have an abortion, but I couldn't find any help. I felt cornered and lost and forced. I had a traumatic abortion. I ended up being abused by the doctor who attended me. I turned from God angry. I felt he didn't care and he wouldn't stop the downward spiral. I hated God. I felt I had to speak for everyone who felt abandoned by God. I became a raging alcoholic and partied with outcasts and lived that lifestyle. There was nothing I wouldn't do or a person I wouldn't manipulate to get my way. All I wanted to prove was that I was right and God was an expletive. I knew God, but I didn't know that he loved me the way that I was loving others. I thought his disappointment in me made him grieve, so I ran as far as I could. My hate, became, my, my hate came from a deep hurt. Understand, when we run from God, there will always be pain. And that pain won't be limited to us. There will be collateral damage that comes along with that. Jonah's run from God nearly cost not only Jonah's life, the lives of all of the sailors. When we run from God, it impacts our kids. It impacts our spouse. It impacts our friends and our family. Chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress... And he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And I said, I'm driven away from your sight, but I'm going to look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bar closed upon me forever. You brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. 
And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. Don't miss this. Jonah's been running from God, but as he's thrown overboard and gets to the point of drowning, he repents. He truly repents. And when he responds to God, God saves him. Sometimes it takes hitting rock bottom for God to get our attention. In Jonah's case, it was in, it was in the sea that he experienced that. In, in the belly of that great fish, Jonah really does repent. If you've been running from God, you can turn it around. You can repent. You can experience new life through Jesus. Jonah was at the point of death. He was ready to drown. And in that moment, he cries out to God. He sees his life flash before his eyes. And in that moment, he realizes the futility of running from God. God hears him and rescues him even though the rescue seems incredibly gross to us. You know, for us, we, we look at that whole idea of Jonah being in the water and this great fish coming in, and we say, how could that happen? Let me, let me just talk you through. There's three different perspectives on, on what could have taken place. One is that, that there's a clear explanation that natural events guided the whole thing, that God... In, in the way that it's described here, it just happened naturally. That, that, um, that this great fish came, that God made a way for that fish to swallow Jonah, for Jonah to live there. Um, in Hebrew language, when it talks about three days, because you think, how did he have oxygen you know, in, the, in the belly of the fish? Um, in Hebrew language, to say three days can mean as short as from dusk on one night to, to sunrise a day later. So a, a period of maybe 38 hours. And in, and in a large fish, in a whale, whatever, oxygen can stay inside the whale for long enough to sustain life. It could have been very uh, a, a natural explanation that just makes sense of, of this. Um, with Jonah alive, digestive activity would not have impacted him because he's still alive. It, natural, um, Jonah's experience could, could have happened in entirely within the framework of natural law. A second option is that it was supernatural, that God, in a supernatural way, that sent this great fish, just like the storm, just like the end of the storm. Somehow, God supernaturally made this fish able to swallow this, this um, grown man, that God supernaturally pre preserved his life in the belly of this fish and ultimately threw him up. A third option that's, that's possible is that Jonah really drowned, that he died and that the supernatural impact was the resurrection of Jonah. It may be that he actually suffocated. Uh, if you look back through chapter 2, you'll notice Jonah doesn't make any reference at all to the fish. And he talks about the depth of Sheol. We don't know if that's literal language, figurative language. We don't know. But it's interesting that Jesus points to Jonah as the picture, as the type, as the, as the look forward to Jesus' death and resurrection. Which of those three is right? We'll maybe find out in heaven and know. All I know is that God was at the center of all three of them. 
Because for that fish to be there, to be able to swallow him, was, was driven by God. Think for a second, what, would, what it would be like to be in the belly of a fish for three days? Three days with no light. Three days with no food. Three days in contact with gastric juices that are designed to break down the contents of the stomach and make it digestible. Three days in wet clothes or naked. Three days with wrinkly skin. Three days surrounded by half-digested food, either other fish or seaweed. Here's what we know. Jonah was saved in the midst of a storm that had been caused by his unwillingness to follow God's lead. Chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time and said, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, In forty days, Nineveh's going to be wiped out. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. He removed his robe, he covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything." Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Nineveh is the picture of repentance they're so sorry. They, they say things have to change. Things have got to change. It seems so crazy to us that in their desire to repent, they would stop eating and drinking for three days, that they would put on sackcloth, this stuff that would be an irritant to the skin, that they would wear that, that they, they, that they would sit in ash, that they would even stop feeding their animals for three days. Understand that it wasn't simply because their picture of God was that he was this evil ogre and they were just trying to appease him. It wasn't that at all. It was a sign that they recognized that their lives had to change. That life on the other side could never be what it was before. And understand that everyone for the rest of their lives would remember what happened during those three days from the young to the old, until the time that they died, they would say, do you remember when that guy prophesied and the whole city began to fast? All of the Ninevites believed from the greatest to the least, Scripture says, the rich and powerful and wealthy, the people in control politically, the people who owned their homes and businesses, the people who were self-sufficient, the people who had pulled themselves up by their bootstraps, the people who had executed unspeakable atrocities on other cities and cultures, everyone believed. Even the king repents. He says, we've got to do something. We've got to change. We've got to turn our lives around. 
When the king proclaims that fast, restaurants close, businesses close, traffic stops. The only thing that's important at that point is that everyone calls on the name of the Lord and repents. Nobody's watching TV. Nobody's going to the movies. Nobody's playing football. Nobody's going to concerts. People aren't hooking up in bars. Everyone is focused on this incredible sense of repentance. Our lives have to change. Verse 10 says, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he didn't do it. Even though Jonah's obedience was reluctant, that obedience impacted the destiny of an entire city. Even though Jonah went kicking and screaming, when he obeyed God, God used his obedience for 120,000 people to come to him. That's incredible to me. If ever you think, oh, it doesn't matter if I obey, it doesn't matter if I do what God says, understand that the ripples that extend from your obedience touch people that you may never even know. But even in his obedience, Jonah was reluctant and embittered. Chapter 4, it displeased Jonah exceedingly that God relented, and he was angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, that you're slow to anger, that you abound in steadfast love, that you relent from disaster. Therefore now, God, take my life from me. It's better for me to die than live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching wind east, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah said, Yeah, I do well to be angry. I'm angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you didn't labor, you didn't make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left, and also a whole lot of cows that live there? Jonah's anger exposed the condition of his heart. He cared more about himself than he did about the people who were far from God. What's that say to you? Jonah, to me, is just such an interesting character. He doesn't want God to do 
he doesn't want to do what God says because he knows that God is gracious and, and shows kindness if there's any way that he can. Jonah knows that the prophecy that he gives isn't going to happen. It's not going to come true. And he's mad because God is good. He's mad at God because God is the God of second chances. Even though he wouldn't be alive if God hadn't given him a second chance. He's mad that God gives second chances to the Ninevites, but he's not mad at God because God gave him a second chance. It's crazy. He's angry because God is true to his nature. God correctly identifies that Jonah is more concerned about the plant that gave him shade, that God had grown, that God had provided, than he was about 120,000 Ninevites who were far from God. Jonah couldn't care less about the city of Nineveh. He couldn't care He couldn't care less about the lost people who were there. Jonah was more concerned about himself than he was about lost people. He was more concerned about his comfort, about his happiness, about his satisfaction. He was more concerned about his reputation, about how he felt about himself than he was about his relationship with God or than he was about people who didn't have a relationship with God, who were far from him. I hope that speaks to you. Man, that that just challenges me tremendously. Because it's so easy to not pay attention to people who are far from God. We get angry with God all the time. We get angry over things that we don't understand. And it's not our burden to carry The challenge for us is either to respond to God or to run. The people that we think are far from God may not be so far from God. The people who appear to be close to God may in reality be far from God. The people who respond to God rather than run are the sailors and the Ninevites. Jonah's response to God is the worst. He sits, he pouts, he mopes. He doesn't rejoice. He isn't humbled by the fact that his life is spared. Jonah's heart, even after God saves him, is still hard. Let me me just take an aside just for a second as, as I get ready to land this. God can and does use people who may look religious but are far from God. Go easy on the people in your life People that you know that are religious but have hurt you. That haven't represented God well. People who have been hypocrites. God may be working in them. God may be working through them with people that you don't know about. Go easy on them. Extend grace. One of the other stories that I got when I asked for people to just talk about what it was like to run from God, came from a a woman who lives in Missouri named Pat. Pat wrote this, Sometimes I felt like Jonah. I came to a crossroads and I knew exactly which way I was to go, but it was just too hard, or so I thought. I landed in a yucky, smelly place, engulfed in self-pity and the scent of disobedience. After the divorce, I felt like I had no purpose. I felt that God had failed me and he didn't hear my cry. After all, he was supposed to save my marriage, right? So I decided I could be a marginal Christian like most I had seen in my life. I would be okay without the church. 
I could not and would not sit alone in a sanctuary filled with those people. So for months I stayed home. I used every excuse imaginable to avoid church. I tried to pray. I cried buckets of tears and even read my Bible, but nothing helped. It seemed as though the area between heaven and where I was had turned to a wall of iron that could not be penetrated. I'll never forget the day when I looked up to heaven and I pointed my finger at God and said, I don't know what you expect of me, which she said was a dumb comment since I've been a Christian since I was seven years old. I don't know what you expect of me, but I'm yours. You're stuck with me, God. I give up. Do something. And he did. The next Sunday morning, I decided to drive and hide in a little church on the highway. Hide? What a joke. I had no idea what was going to happen. The minute I walked in this little church, I realized I knew the person at the piano. A couple on the left side of the auditorium. And before I could escape, a lovely lady who I had known most of my life saw me. And before I knew what hit me, I was sitting next to she and her husband for church. Darlene had watched me grow up in the church. She had played the organ while I sang at more weddings and funerals than I can count. She had been at my wedding and was the first person I told that I was pregnant with my son. What were those people doing in that place at that time? The fact is, God had my number, and he knew exactly where I was. He knew exactly what I needed. He knew that I had been roaming in the desert way too long. He knew I needed encouragement. I managed to get through the service without being a blubbering idiot, but when Darlene hugged me and said, you're going home with us this afternoon, I tried to think of a good reason not to go. I knew I was in for a talk. We had lunch and then it started. Like a commander in charge of a mission, she sent her husband to the other room to take a nap. She grabbed her Bible and she told me to sit down. She turned to Isaiah 54 and read the passage that would change my world. The words jumped off the page. For your maker is your husband. I didn't have to walk alone. I had a powerful, loving maker, and he wanted to fill the void. He wanted me to run towards him and not away. Needless to say, I stopped hiding and I ran for the master with a new determination. I've been running to him since. I'm never alone. And when I'm sitting in church or anywhere else, for that matter. If you know in your heart that you've been running from God, today's the day to change that. To run towards Nineveh, to be the man or the woman that God created you to be, the man or woman that God called you to be. Let's pray. God, we're convicted right now because it's so easy for us to run from you. It's so easy to get distracted. God, it's so easy to get scared. It's so easy to just turn off your voice and try to ignore you and pretend. It's so easy to go the opposite direction. And Lord, we we recognize that we're desperate for you. We're desperate to experience the repentance of Nineveh. We're desperate to have that relationship Pat just talked about. 
God, do your work in us. Draw us to you. Change us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.